Okay, folks, we'll go ahead and reconvene and begin uh, the third part of our uh, three-part workshop here. And what we'll do to begin um, this section of the workshop is to complete our module, uh, module number three, which was getting paid or the selling and marketing effort. So hopefully you had some good um, conversation in your groups and, and generated some good thoughts or, or had some good progress there. We're going to skip the sharing that we would normally do after this just because of uh, how much time is getting away from us. But I'd like to introduce Ricky, and Ricky's going to talk to you a little bit about what happened on Better Together Farm in the last year. Okay. Very good. Well, I was just talking to this group up here for a few minutes, and they gave us a really good idea of what we could have done, but we, we ended up not doing. But uh, it's, it's all good. It's, it's, it's a learning experience. So I just wanted to start off with a little idea about kind of our farm vision. This isn't something we have in concrete, but the reason why we even decided we wanted to get into agriculture, especially on small-scale farming. And I, would, I will just mention one thing, because they asked, like Kevin mentioned that we have 15 acres, right? Um, technically, we have 20 acres. But the question was, how much do we actually grow? Okay? And our current growth space right now is we have 92 100-foot beds that are 30 inches wide. Each bed's 30 inches wide, 92 beds. So it averages out to about three-quarters of an acre. So we're not growing on 15 acres. We're not growing on 20 acres. We're growing on about three-quarters of an acre. And I don't know if, if any of you plan on tending any of the, the um, market gardening track uh, where you meet the farmer and stuff like that, but each one of those farms are going to tell us a little bit about their schematic and their layout. So if you're coming to those, we'll learn a lot from a variety of farms who are currently doing something. But here's the vision. Develop personal connections with customers. That's a real big desire for us. We feel like that's a big part of the mission. Um, we would love to be able to have people out to the farm more often. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. That didn't happen much this year because of the whole COVID thing. Just changed a big part of what we were hoping to do this year. And so we felt like in order to do that, we need to go direct to customer. That just feels like the best way for us to do it. We do a little bit of wholesale. We do a little bit of restaurant, not much. You'll see here in just a minute as we break that down. And then we were hoping to be able to do some on-farm events. And I'll share with you a couple ideas that we were planning on doing, uh, heading that direction as well. So in new in 2020, this is actually what we did this past year. Um, we actually wanted to um, do more online market access, which means uh, before we would have available to people, we had, we'd have two drop sites that Kevin was mentioning before. We had one drop site in Murray County, kind of a farm pop-up stand that he mentioned, right? And we had one pop-up site in the um, Carter County area. And so, Basically, if somebody lived in, say, a, one of the towns is named Davis, Oklahoma. If you lived in Davis, Oklahoma, you could purchase from us one time a week. And we had one farm stand that was open for two hours, one time a week. So we felt like we needed to open up the um, market so that people, if they wanted to purchase more frequently from us than one time a week, they could do it. You know, a lot of people are conditioned to Oh, we need to pick up something, something. Let's, I would go to the store and pick it up. Well, if you have to say, oh, we need another head of lettuce. Oh, wait a second. That, that, that little uh, online thing is that's better together farm. They're open. Oh, but I'm going to have to wait till Monday 
at 4 o'clock and it's Wednesday. You know, who's going to do that, right? So how do we make it more accessible for people? So that was one thing. Have the, have the market available more often. Uh, also make it more accessible. In other words, have more pickup sites that are closer to people where they can access and make it more convenient for them to stop in and pick up their veggies. Before, it was like we would send two people from the farm down to one pop-up market for two hours, and they would just sit there for two hours. Yeah, you're meeting people. There's some things there. But it felt like, how do we scale this? How do we really scale that? Is that really scalable? And we felt like it just wasn't very scalable. And so we would do that one time a week in Murray County and one time a week in Carter County. And it took, um, you know, by the time you pack up the car, get in it, go down, you drive 30 miles, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're spending four, four and a half hours, two people's time, right? And it's in this one set location at that one spot. So we decided, how can we add more pickup sites? And then the idea would be, okay, well, if we're not going to be able to have much face-to-face, -face, if this is more like a grab-and-go where people come in, they pick up, and they just leave, and we're not there, how do we make that connection with them? And so we were planning on doing more on-farm events that they could come and participate in or these types of things. Well, I'll share a little, just a little bit about that. Okay, so we have basically these four sales channels. We have an online market, which is our direct-to-consumer, we worked with a couple restaurants. By the way, our restaurant sales this year, I don't know what they were compared to last year, but if they weren't, I doubt they were as high. A lot of this whole COVID thing just really changed the entire atmosphere of the restaurant industry, as you can imagine. Uh, we also have um, a little bit of florist that we do. We work with the florist and we sell some wholesale flowers to her uh, as well. We, we would sell flowers directly to our customers. And then, as you'll see a little later, we have very, very, very small amount of wholesale produce we actually did to a grocery store, a couple grocery stores. All right, so uh, just to give you an idea of the overview, we had actually 67 online markets between April and December. And these online markets will be open on Sunday and on Wednesday. So at Sunday at 1 o'clock um, in the afternoon, our online market will open. So it's an online store, right? We would post everything we have available. It opens at one o'clock and it would close at seven o'clock the next morning, right? And so that window would be where people could go in and order from us. And all that's done online. And we, I'll show you just a little bit about how that works. Um, and they would order at that time. So they could order at either location from either county now, they can order on Sunday or Wednesday. So we basically doubled the access that people could have if they lived in the same location. So they could buy, technically, they could buy from us twice a week, where before they could only buy from us once a week, right? Okay. So I wanted to just share this with you. This is on a homepage, not a homepage. Well, I guess it's actually part of our homepage on our website. But um, the, the key to online sales, at least from our experience, is you have to have a way to reach people electronically. So you need to either have their email address or their phone number, their mobile phone number where they'll accept text. So you see in the red letters here, we have 513 people on our email list and we have 224 people who have given us their personal cell number to text them the moment the market opens. So at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Aubrey goes from about probably about 12.30, maybe 12.15, 
I, we will give her the numbers. Everything we have available, she'll go up, she'll load it right onto the market, and then at one o'clock, boom, 224 people get a text from us. And shortly thereafter, 513 people get an email. Now, a lot of those are duplicates because some people want both a text and an email. But um, at least from our perspective, the online market only really works if you have a way of reminding someone right when it happens. Okay, if, to expect them just to remember that this is gonna happen, it's probably gonna be pretty difficult. So that's really key fundamental. Be there right when it happens. And the amazing thing is, is that people get used to this. And we'll see that generally, probably, I don't know, Aubrey, what would you say the percentage? In the first 45 minutes the store's open, we'll probably sell 80% of what we have on the market. It happens that fast. It's just this flurry. And then, you know, as your product availability runs out and you're out of, it, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock, it just slows down because, you know, most people don't want to come to pick up a pound of carrots. Right? I mean, they want, they'd like to have a variety of certain things. But if you're thinking about online space, you need to have a really reliable platform and a good way to help access people uh, right when it happens. Okay, so I have a blank screen here. I think we're gonna watch, okay, this is a little video. This is what our online market looks like. So you see we post the product. This is our winter market. This is kind of what it looks like right now. So these are things that are available. It's just like an online store. You just go in, you pick what you want, the quantity, and it just totals it up for you, right? Very similar, if, you, if you're familiar with buying anything online, it's a very easy, intuitive site. We didn't build this site, this is a site we work with, it's called Barn the Door. Um, we've been overall pretty satisfied with it. We're possibly looking for another one as well. Yes? We do pay for it, yeah. I mean, we take all the photographs and we, and we implement the, all the page stuff, but the actual software, the processing of the orders, all those types of things, if you have more questions, please talk to Aubrey. She's the person who helps make all that happen. Okay, so remember we had 67 online markets between April through December. That's a Sunday, Wednesday. And so one of the other things we changed, we went to five pickup sites in three towns. So remember we used to have two sites once a week. Now there's five pickup sites twice a week. So it just makes it a lot more accessible. And these pickup sites are in places that strategically are hopefully a little more convenient for people. So in the, we're, we had two communities in Murray County. We were, we, before, we were only in one town. So people from this other community, if they wanted any veggies, they had to drive all the way, not that far, maybe eight, 10 miles. But that's kind of inconvenient. I'm thinking, how many of us are going to drive eight to 10 miles to go pick up maybe a head of lettuce, some kale, and carrots? Probably most, you know, you're going to have to be pretty dedicated to that. So the idea is, like Kevin asked earlier, maybe we need to understand why is it that people are not buying from us? And are those things we can help lower those hurdles? And so we felt like that was a, a good lowering a hurdle. We also have this year, for the first time, we made home delivery option with a fee. So we charge either $5 or $7 to drop their veggies at their house as long as they were in like a three mile radius of our pickup site. So we wouldn't go like 15 miles into the country, right? They had to be within like a three mile radius. But we did make that, we made that available as well. Okay, so these were our five pickup sites that we, we worked with this, this year. Currently, we still are. Uh, we have a florist here on the top left corner uh, that's in the community called Ardmore. Uh, we also have a pickup site at a health food store, uh, actually run by an Adventist couple called Veggies. 
Um, we, in Ardmore, we also have, I think I've cited a YMCA. So those three were in the same community, the larger town. And then there's a pharmacy and a little community called Sulphur, called Harv Hobbs Pharmacy. And they let us have set up a pickup site there. And then a client's home, they have a really nice detached garage shot from their house that has a nice long overhang. And they set a table up right there in another community. And people just drive right there. They have a nice circle drive. People just pull up, grab their stuff, put it in their car, and go. So all we do is we get there. We take the bags out. It's like a paper bag, big paper bag has a name, label on it, what they ordered, we set it on the table, and we leave. And we do that at all five pickup sites. So we're not technically, physically there. We're just going, dropping their order, they come, pick it up, and go. So it's a kind of a grab and go type thing. And with the whole COVID thing, honestly, there's a lot of people who like that. So, all right, so I wanted to just give you an overview of kind of what we've looked at here. This is our online, experience uh, in 2020. So this was from January to December of last year. We had actually 209 unique customers. So 209 different people ordered from us. Okay. We had a total of 2,700 orders during that period. Our average order was $19.17. And then we had our total online store sales. This was just the online store sales was right a little over 51,000. Okay. And then I thought you might like to see, these were the top five produce items. We grow a different of 33 different varieties of different vegetables on our three quarters of an acre, do a lot of succession planting as um, Aubrey and Alan alluded to earlier. Our number one product was head lettuce. We, throw, we grow three different varieties of head lettuce. Uh, that was the, the amount of lettuce we sold this year. Uh, lettuce mix came in number two. Cucumbers was number three. We kind of grow a, a real nice thin skinned Socrates cucumber. Uh, they're kind of a high-end cucumber. They're, they're a very nice variety. Uh, red tomatoes and okra, believe it or not. Those are number five. So we have 33 varieties in all. These were our top five. And to be truthful, we, we could have, um, three of those five, we could have grown a lot more. We had a lot more market demand than we did uh, product. So, and then a variety of other things as well. Okay. So I thought I'd just share this with you. This is kind of an interesting aspect. Remember, we had 67 times a person could order from us, right? If they ordered every market, all year long. So our top three customers, are, this is the number of times they ordered and the total amount that they purchased from us. Okay, so we had one customer uh, who ordered 51 times. So they were ordering much more than just once a week, right? We had another customer order 40, 57 times and another one 49 times. So you can see those were our top three. It just kind of uh, cascades down from there. We also had our bottom three customers. We had one person who ordered one time from us. We don't have a minimum order. We, don't put a, we did have one in the past, but we don't anymore. We just, we're, we're making the trip. We're wanting to establish new customers and new people. No barrier. You don't have to order 20 bucks or anything like that. You can order whatever you want. And um, so we had one person order apparently something that was $3.25 from us, and they ordered one time, all year long. And you can see that. But the neat thing is, is that you've heard the 80-20 principle. Have you ever heard that, right? Where sometimes like 20% of your people will, will um, produce 80% of your revenue. Well, we found about 30% of our people produced about 65% of our revenue. So you, you start getting these people who are really, if you've been in this yourself, you start 
feeling like you've got some really loyal people that start coming along with you. And um, it's a good thing. They really love the produce, they like the experience, and they continue to show that they appreciate that. Okay, so I wanted to share with this. So our total sales in this year was 60,165, and this is how it breaks down. We had 86% of our online sales, made up our online sales, 11% was restaurant. Florist, that's what we sold. We sold more flowers than that, but that's what the florist bought from us on a wholesale. And you can see grocery was very small. Basically, we sold some okra to a few grocery stores and we had some excess okra. So it was almost, we wouldn't have taken it to the store for that, but we drive right by the store when we're going to drop off our produce at our pickup sites. So you gotta think, you don't wanna go do something like, oh, I'm gonna go way out of my way to do this for 40 bucks. But if you're driving right by the store, and you've already harvested anyway, it's probably worth 40 bucks. You with me? Just kind of like those types of things. And I don't know. Oh, so these were, our, these were our planned farm events for 2020. The only one that happened was we did do one farm tour in 2020. And we had about, how many people came to the farm that day? Was it about? Uh, I would say it was like eight. Eight? So we had about 80 of our clients come. And we've asked, people have been asking to come back and come back. And, but what we are wanting to do is we're wanting to try to take one day a month and, and focus on something that's currently we're growing in the farm and have a day where we actually invite people to come for some type of food item. And they have a fee to come and they get to experience the farm. And um, people like coming to the farm. They'd like it, you know, I mean, if you have some things, the key is just how do you balance that with everything else that's going on with the farm? Because it kind of gets pretty busy. Okay, Kevin, I think that's it for me. Thanks, Ricky. Okay, let's move on. to our last module, module four, faith and finance. This is what I've been looking forward to all day. To me, this is where I get enthused and excited because the good news that I have found in my faith with connection to my finance is just one of the highlights of my life. And it's just really cool that I get to talk about this in a conference. I really appreciate that this is a faith-based conference where it's not only okay but encouraged to talk about this intersection. And it seems like for a lot of folks, the intersection between faith and finance is uncomfortable. And so I wanted to share with you at least a little bit about my enthusiasm and why, to me, this is one of the, uh, the best parts of the, you know, the financial topics that I get to talk about. So I will talk about two things. I want to talk about stewardship and contentment. Stewardship's already been referenced, and I appreciated, I think, uh, Sean was the one that talked about stewardship. I appreciate invoking that topic in this context. So stewardship is based on the notion, the belief that God owns what? Everything. Right. And so that's probably not a new concept. I just want to reintroduce it as the foundation for the whole stewardship piece. A couple of my favorite scriptures that kind of confirm our belief from a biblical basis that that's true is the end of the creation story, Genesis one thirty one. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And then in some very eloquent language, the psalmist in Psalm 50 says it this way, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. 
I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And this last statement really drives it home for me. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. That's a point where I know I'm different, that God is divine and I'm not. Because when I'm hungry, I promise I will tell you, your brother, and everyone I can find. I used to have this strategy at church when my wife was out of town. I would just go to church and look pathetic, and I would get invited over for lunch. (laughs) Okay, having a little fun. But God owns everything. What that means, if God owns everything, is that we aren't really owners. Instead, we're what? Stewards. Probably all of you can identify with that distinction in some way or shape or place in your life. Probably all of you have something that you own and have at one point had something that you borrowed or were caretaking for somebody or for whatever reason, it wasn't fully yours, but it was in your care. You think about those things differently. At least I do. I imagine most of you do. Maybe our approaches are slightly different, but there's a distinct difference between being an owner and a steward. There's privileges and responsibilities with both. But for me, one of the things I love about being a steward is that I find it less stressful, right? If I do my job to take care of it and nurture it and do everything that's impossible, everything that's possible to do in its care, and for some reason beyond my control, it still falters or gets taken away or breaks down, I just take it less personally. It wasn't mine to begin with, right? So I find it less stressful. These two verses come out of a a talent that probably most, um, a parable about talents that most of you know fairly well. Let me read them to you. Verse 21 reads this way. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. A couple verses later, in the very same story, we have these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What do you notice about those two verses? It's not a trick question. It's the obvious thing. They're identical. They're exactly the same. Now, if you know the story, and I suspect many of you do, the person who is being addressed in the top verse, in verse 21, is who? It's the man or the servant with, right, 10. He started with five, and he invested and um, traded and improved upon them until they became 10. The person in verse 23 is the servant who started with how many talents? Two, and improved upon them and got to four. And to me, I see in this commendation the fact that Jesus uses the exact same words for both as a rebuke and a not-so-subtle rebuke against the predominant culture in which we operate that compares and ranks everything. Do you notice that? I don't think I can read an article about a business or uh, some organization that's trying to do social good or whatever without the author making some comparison between that business or that organization and everybody else in their industry. You know, well, these guys do X, Y, and Z, but these guys over here are bigger, or these guys over here are more profitable. Or these guys over here are better suited to withstand change and innovation and disruption. There's comparisons. And then, of course, the ranking business. I just pull up a copy of the Fortune 500 magazine. They have this book filled with numbers of rankings on all sorts of spec. It's phenomenal how deeply embedded in our culture that 
comparison and ranking is. And to me, this parable of the talents tells us how differently God thinks of it. And to me, that's wonderful news. It doesn't matter if you're doing gardening in your backyard and you're not selling to anybody or if you run the biggest farm in the country. You have the same opportunity to earn this commendation from our Savior. Enter into the joy of your Lord. To me, that's good news. On the topic of contentment, I always go to, almost always go to this verse in Philippians 4. Let me read it to you. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through who? Through Christ, who gives me strength. I grew up in a home that was very careful with its obligations to the Lord with respect to money. And that's the way I was raised. And so I learned both by example and by teaching to be a, a faithful to God with my money from a young age. And I have been. That's something I've never changed over the course of my life. And as many of you probably know, there's a promise in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi where the author says um, that there will be a reward for those who are faithful in their tithes and their offerings, right? Interesting to me, interestingly to me, when I looked up that word blessing, there will be a blessing. That's the word that's used, or at least that's the English translation of the word that's used. It means, yes, prosperity, but so much more than that. That word blessing is used over 600 times in the Old Testament, and it has a broad range of meaning, everything from having a good reputation as a country to being esteemed by the people around them because of their God to having big families, All of those things were blessing. And so when I think about the blessings I've gotten in my life because of my faithfulness to the Lord, to me, this is right at the top of the list. Contentment. When I really think about it, there's nothing else that I'd rather have than being content. I'd much rather be in a modest home and be content than to be in a big home and have a big portfolio and be miserable. Would you? I can't think of a better thing that God could offer me. And right here in this verse, I love the language Paul used because he says, I have learned the secret of being content always. We are given the message so repetitively, so thoroughly, so often that we can't be happy unless we have something. Usually something we don't have that we just happen to be able to buy from the person who's advertising to us, right? That's our message. We can't be content unless we have X, Y, and Z or a bunch of other stuff. This first, this promise, stands in stark contrast to that. And not only can we be content without the new car or the best-looking clothes or some of the luxuries, we can even be content if we don't have necessities. Does anybody know where Paul was when he wrote these words? Prison. That's right. He was in prison. That tells me something, especially the kind of prisons that I imagine were operated in those days. They make our prisons look like a resort, right? Maybe, I don't know, but I imagine. And yet he was able to say, I've learned to be content, the secret of being content in any and every situation, even if I don't have food. To me, that's a powerful rebuke to the culture in which we find ourselves today, and to me, it's wonderful news. So even if my farm doesn't accomplish what I want, or whatever the situation is, I have the secret, the privilege of being content. And what is that secret? He goes right on to tell us in the next phrase. I can do all things through Christ, 
who gives me strength. And so the privilege of being in relationship with Christ can produce that contentment. And I just couldn't pass up an opportunity to talk to folks about money without giving a little bit of that belief, that perspective, that conviction in my heart. We're going to follow that up a little bit by inviting um, both Ricky and Alan to come up and share. So Ricky, you'll be first. Ricky's going to share a little bit more on the topic of uh, stewardship, and then Alan will follow with some of his uh, personal thoughts and experience on the topic of contentment. Thanks, Kevin. So, Kevin mentioned already the idea behind stewardship. I just wanted to just drill down on that just a little bit. Um, but the definition of stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something that's owned by someone else, right? Or to manage or look after another's property. And so as we think about property, the thing that comes to my mind is a farm. Because, I mean, generally, I mean, obviously there's ways, to, I guess, to do it a little differently. And, yeah, but it still takes property. But, I mean, land is a very important commodity when you're typically wanting to grow something. And so it tells me, reminds me of a little story about the farmer and the preacher. Um, there was a new preacher that had come to the area, and uh, a gentleman who had just started farming, and the preacher was out visiting, because you know preachers like to go out and visit their uh, people who are part of their congregation, get to know them better, and the, the preacher shows up to the farm, and uh, he just walks onto that farm, and uh, the preacher's just amazed how beautiful this farm is. And he goes up to the, the, the farmer and he goes, Bob, he goes, look at the size of that corn. I've never seen corn that big. It's just so beautiful. The Lord, brother, is really blessing you. And Bob, the farmer, goes, well, yeah, preacher, yes, thank you. Thank the, uh, yeah, thank you, yeah. And so he keeps going on, takes a tour through the farm, and comes to these tomatoes. Beautiful tomatoes. Huge, gorgeous tomatoes. And you know, the, the, the preacher just stops there and just turns to Bob, the farmer, and goes, Bob, these tomatoes, I have, I've never seen tomatoes like this. And, you know, uh, kind of notices Bob's getting just a little fidgety, and he goes, well, Bob, the Lord is really blessing you here on this farm. And Bob kind of kind of kicks the dirt a little bit and goes, well, yeah, um, well, thank, you know, thank you, Pastor, but he, he almost has this little bit of irritation in, in the way he responded to, to the preacher. They sure enough, they go out to the next field, and there's this big, beautiful field of watermelons, and the melons are just, just beautiful melons. And look at these melons, Bob. The, this is amazing. This farm is amazing. The Lord has really been blessing you. And finally, Bob, the farmer, just, he's, you know, turns to the preacher and he says, Well, preacher, I wish you would have been here last year when I let the Lord do it himself. Stewardship. Right? Now, let me ask you a question. If I can get the screen back on, what happened? Here we go. Did I just lose that? Okay, well, the question is, yeah. What happens to a garden when it lacks stewardship? Anybody been in a situation where you started a garden and then you walked away from it? What happens to it? Weeds like crazy. It just goes... It's like you can't even hardly recognize it within a period of a few short days or weeks, right? It takes stewardship. No, we don't own the farm. Technically, God owns everything. But there's kind of this mutualism that takes place in a farm. Yeah? In other words, God realizes being on a farm can be really beneficial for you. 
And so I think one of the ideal spots he would like us to be would be somehow involved in some aspect in agriculture, in an aspect of our life, because he realizes that it's important to us. So the question I have since we've been talking about money today is what happens when money likes stewardship? I mean, probably some of us in this room have been in that experience. It's similar to like a garden when it lacks stewardship because it ends up becoming chaotic and it ends up actually changing your life in ways that is, well, unhealthy. I mean, maybe some of you have heard, you realize they say that the number one reason for divorce, do you know what that is? Financial. So when Kevin comes and presents to us these things about finances and things of this nature, you know, there's always this balance, right, between mission and margin. But you gotta, in essence, we wanna have both, right? The aspect, we really need both. I mean, it, it helps us not only to have um, a livelihood, but it actually helps us to be able to have a family that works and functions in ways that are very, very important. So I just, I hope as we think about um, this whole concept of stewardship, and especially in regards to the farm, in the farm, we keep in mind that it all belongs to God, but there's an important role that we play as stewards. Alan. So, for me, um, there's, this, there's this constant aspect, and I'm sure we all experience this to a certain degree in our lives and, and whatever we're involved in, but we want to be successful, we have certain expectations that we set for ourselves, and when those expectations have some fairly significant shifts in them, right, it can be a lot to, to shift with that, to be flexible enough to shift with that. And, when um, dad was let go for his work, from his work a year and a half ago, um, all of a sudden I had expectations of, okay, the farm needs to get to the point to be a livelihood for me and for Aubrey, for the degree that she wants to be involved in it, obviously. Um, and all of a sudden the farm was being asked to do something that I didn't know if the farm could do or not, right? It's like, that's a big shift to go from that revenue point to this revenue point, and how are we going to do that? And I started getting really stressed about how that might take place, because it's like the farm's being asked to do something that, but it's not just the farm's being asked to do, I'm being asked to do, and am I up to this, can I do it? And um, there were, after we kind of got that news and dad got let go, there was about a three week period that I would wake up consistently in the middle of the night with pain in my chest, kind of an anxiety attack situation, and just like, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? How's this going to work? And um, there, was, there was this dynamic, about three weeks of going after this, this experience, um, God kind of spoke to me and said, if, if this doesn't work, if this farming situation fails, um, do you really think that I don't have any other plans for your life? Okay? 
Like, do you really expect that, that I would just leave you there? And, and I, I came to realize that, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm completely free of this, but I feel like I've kind of come to another experience, another level of my identity, my value, and how I look at myself and how I perceive other people look at me doesn't need to be attached to my occupation. And that's a, that's a, that's a big relief um, because for most of us, we grow up and it's like, get good grades and then, go, and then go through high school and get a good SAT so that you can go to a good college so that you can get a good job and you don't have to worry about problems Obviously, it doesn't really work that way for most of us. But there's this expectation that, that some of us, at least I, had in my mind. And then I'm trying to make the farm something new, something novel to meet those expectations. And God was talking to me and saying, look, you know, um, you don't have to attach who you are at a baseline level to how this turns out. And that was a big relief. It's saying, Lord, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know how this works out. But that's a part of, that's a part of my experience that you're willing to bear for me. And kind of like Dad was talking about stewardship, I, I like how Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of the thoughts of themselves. Evil, the, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. That's probably a terrible paraphrase. But anyways, you get the idea. And that word thought doesn't mean don't think about tomorrow. It doesn't mean doesn't make plan. But don't bear the anxieties of tomorrow because God's willing to take that anxiety from you. We're faithful with what we do today. We make plans. But the anxiety doesn't have to be a part of that. Or it can be really minimized. And um, one of the ways that, how do you say that we, we can get there is by, by detaching that, that, like we have expectations, we have these numbers that we want to hit. I don't necessarily know what all is going to go into place, but I know that God has plans for each one of us. I know he has plans for me in that my identity doesn't have to be bound up in and how the farm, farm performs. It doesn't mean that I'm lazy. It doesn't mean that I'm negligent. It doesn't mean that I don't make plans. Um, but it's kind of like the difference between an electric motor and a gas-powered motor. An electric motor is about 90% efficient. So basically, the energy that's used, 10% goes off on heat, about 90% is actually used, can be transferred to mechanical energy to, like, let's say, run a car. A gas engine is way less. I think it's like 20% or something, and then 80% goes off in heat. Not only does, does shifting, if, if you can get there in your mind of saying, you know, allow God to bear that anxiety, it's like shifting from being a gas-powered motor to an electric-powered motor. You're more efficient with the way that you use energy because your energy is now going forward to propelling your endeavors to making them more successful instead of going into anxiety and stress. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but um, sometimes when you're really anxious and holding a lot of stress, it just zaps you of energy that you could use to further the goal that you're trying to do. And that's just one way, at least in my experience, how I believe God has, has shown me the balance between the two and has given me more energy to do what he's called me to do. But at the end of the day, my, my identity, my success is not determined on how the farm performs. It's because I'm a child of God and 
He's looking out for me, and all I have to do is focus on what's in front of me, be faithful with today, and leave tomorrow to him. Thank you, Alan and Ricky, both for those uh, personal touches to those uh, two topics. Okay, so for one last time, I'm going to invite you to break into your groups. And this time, I'm going to invite you to share about this question. What is your personal contentment score? Okay, so give yourself a score somewhere between 1 and 10. 1 means you're totally dissatisfied. 10 means you're perfectly content. Probably most of us are somewhere between there, but, um, you know, answer honestly whatever's there for you. And follow up that rating by asking yourself the question, do I wish it were different? You can share about that, or maybe you're content with how content you are. Or if you could be discontent with how content you are. Uh, Question for another day. What choices or practices do you find that really help in this arena? that help you keep that contentment score moving in the right direction. Share a little bit about that if you've done some thought, thinking or work in that area so that others in your uh, conversation can benefit from your experience. So let's take about five minutes. Go ahead and go into your groups, and we'll uh, do that now. Okay, folks, let's go ahead and break up the small groups and come back together in our large group. Thank you for sharing and discussing in your groups. I overheard a couple of conversations and, and thought it was really good. There's some good stuff that you guys are talking about, and so I want to um, invite any of you who are willing to volunteer to share with the larger group to share just briefly if, you, if you'd like. And I'm going to start by asking either uh, Jordan or Eric, would one of you guys be willing to share? Um, you knew I was over there for a reason, right? That was part of it. One of you be willing to do that? And if so, Aubrey's right behind you with the mic. Uh, yeah, Jordan. Uh, so we were just talking about the personal contentment score. Mine was... Um, Previously, it's been pretty low just because um, the path I've taken in life in terms of, of schooling and changed them in my education choices uh, just added a bunch of extra time on the things. And I'm 24 and I'm ready to get on with my life and you know, contribute to society and, and feel like you have a purpose. Um, and so, kind of resonated with what, what Alan was talking about. Um, how you got to come to a point where you can just trust God with it, you know, and you you got to give give Him your thoughts, your, your cares, your worries, and um, and He'll He'll supply you with that purpose, you know. He'll supply you with the the um, the fulfillment you need, the contentment you need, and um, so I just really have been blessed uh, to to come to that walk with with God in my own life, and I encourage you guys to. Um, to seek him out yourself and, and give him all your care. It's a great, great feeling. Thank you, Jordan. And actually, Aubrey, before you leave that section, I heard the Hankins family in a very good conversation with the Silers. Would one of you be willing to share? And if you may not have heard my disclaimer earlier, if you don't want to, just say no. But if you're willing, I think the group would enjoy hearing what you had to say. Okay, so the consent number I, I got to share is. Uh, there was a, uh, the low number would be like three or four when it comes to us wanting to get going mm-hmm. to kind of get to the place where some of you are at already with the farm working. And uh, the high, I had a high contentment number when it came to the stuff. You know, uh, they would have all the things I want for homeschooling or clothes or whatever, but I every time I do put my hands on what I do have, I'm thankful for it. But that low number, we have a lot of gifts in our family, and it's kind of like we're, we are blessed with, you know, the ag guy, and we've got the, the, the per- personal chef 
and then a family guy, the middle missionary, same thing. Mm-hmm. Got all these gifts, and we're just, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus in the center and us coming towards it, and then once, as we're coming towards it, we're able to get aligned. So that contentment number of three, four, um, I know needs to be raised up with the thought that we are working in the gifts we have, and the Lord is leading us little by little to get mm-hmm. that thank you yeah and i love the idea of segmenting did you hear what she did segmenting in this area contentment score is high in this area not so much i think it's a very useful uh improvement on this whole question and topic thank you so much for sharing that and um victor yeah i'll we'll be right here just speak into the mic um uh, i think i very much resonated with what alan had said um and I wanted to share a short story uh, that success is not in occupation or performance, but in identity. And um, uh, recently, we just moved from Seattle to Michigan. And if I could work in Seattle and live in Michigan, <laughs> I think secularly, I would be super content. But I obviously did not go through that experience. And I went through one experience. Uh, recently where I almost like it was like mental breakdown and cracking down and I come from a home where the men were extremely competent extremely competent and I would say I mean I've been a lay minister I've been in different things but when it came to family dynamics I saw that I was more like my father than what I thought and the Lord took me through this one experience where there was a day I had to go out and the Lord told me to stay and talk to him and while I was talking to him, I was concerned about where I needed to be. And he brought me, still talking to me, bringing up scripture. And when I finally said, I said, all right, Lord, if I'm late, that's on you. <laughs> and then as I just said to him, he was saying, after he finished, he said, okay, son, you can go now. And when I turned to leave, the thought came in my head, I actually have a father. And I broke down and started crying. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I could never talk to my actual dad about stuff I was going through. You know, it's not I grew up. My dad's a very competent man. He's a lawyer, an entrepreneur, he had his own business. But then the Lord showed me something. He said, because my wife would say, oh, just pray about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, sweetie, but I still got to go and do it. I still got to go out and work, you know. And the Lord showed me something about how I grew up. It's not saying my father never did this. But I never saw my father go through a trial that was devastating for him, turn to God, pray about it, and God come through for him. <laughs> and because of that, that's not how I lived my life. And, um, and the Lord was like, I want you, it's not that your father didn't do that, but you never saw that. And so you've been modeling that in your home. And that I need you to know that that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You need to become a man who comes to me. And that has raised my contentment now that my success mm. has nothing to do with my performance, my outcome, but as it has been finding my identity in the world, I have become successful and been able to do things that I would thought I never could do. So that's my Thank you for sharing that. What a powerful story and a powerful testimony. 
our time is gone, so I'm going to. What we'll do is draw the official session to a close. I've asked Sean to come up and offer a closing prayer. So, Sean, if you'd go ahead and come up. If there's some of you who want to stay and ask questions, I will stay for at least 15 minutes afterwards. I'll invite the Silers to stay too if they can, but at least I can stay. So if you have questions, we'll continue. But I just want the, the session to officially close on time. So that's what this will be. And then if you need to go, you can. If you want to stay for Q&A, you're welcome to. Sean? Heavenly Father, we want to um, thank you so much for um, bringing, on, bringing us on this uh, journey, Lord, as we have people in our midst, Lord, and we have uh, crops that we've grown and that we can get to people, Lord. Help us to see them as you see them. Help us to use these leveraging tools, Lord, for your kingdom and the furtherance of the gospel, Lord. We do have this final um, gospel that needs to be preached worldwide, Lord, and we just pray that you would use us in that endeavor. Help us to um, make the most of each day. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.